Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And it reads, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. All the people said, Amen. This is so deep. I wonder if we shouldn't even pray again. It's so deep. <laughs> when you bless your food and then think, it's a mountain. I need to bless it again. <laughs> so I'm going to speak into our collective destiny from the subject, Permission Granted. Permission Granted. I don't want you to look at your neighbor this time. This time I want you to look up, okay? Look up in the direction of heaven, wherever you sense heaven to be, and say, permission granted. Permission granted. Mm. Hallelujah. Permission granted. So, this is the conclusion of an encounter that Mary had with the angel Gabriel in which Gabriel announced to her that she would be with child, that it would be a supernatural conception, and that she would bring forth the Son of God into the world. How many know that's a big announcement? It's a whole lot for a young lady to take in, and virtually impossible to understand. And yet her answer effectively is permission granted. I don't understand, but I accept. And so, this leads to the question of why her permission was even necessary in the first place. Why would the angel not leave until she said, okay, Surely if God is going to intervene in human affairs, he does not need permission. I think that's the general thesis in our minds. If God wants to do it, he's just going to do it. He's not going to ask your permission to step into your life, radically transform it. He's just going to do what he's going to do. How do you know that that is actually a popular idea? Not only in the Christian world, but in other uh, expressions of Abrahamic faith. You understand what I mean by that? Yes. Do you? Inshallah, then hopefully you do. Because that's a phrase that means, well, it's, God wants it, that's what's going to happen. And that's pretty much in our head. If God wants it, 
It's going to happen. If God says I'm going to do it, he's going to do it. And he does not need your permission. Now this strikes at the heart of, I think, what is one of the biggest questions in the world of faith today. And I'm going to try to address one of the biggest questions eating up people of faith today. It is eating us alive and it has prevented many of your loved ones from even coming with you to church. Mm. It is the number one objection to Christianity or theism, period. You know what I mean by theism? No? Thank you, wakeys, everyone. Come back. I'm still here. Theism, well, you know what atheism is. Okay, it's the belief that there is no deity, there is no divinity, there is no divine, there is no supernatural. Everything we think of as supernatural is a psychological phenomenon. It is not supernatural because there is nothing beyond the natural. That's atheism. The number one objection to theism, to the belief that there is supernatural, there is the divine, there is an almighty God, there is a creator. And then the Judeo-Christian rendition of theism, that God the creator is an intelligent being, a person who, who created us or is responsible for our existence and who would not abandon his plan for us paying himself the price for our redemption, loving us to death. Come on now. There's an objection to theism. And the objection is as follows. How can a loving God allow evil in the world? Talk to me now. If there's a God, why are people dying? In developing countries. If there's a God, why have atrocities been perpetuated by human governments? Genocide. Slaughter of innocents. Injustice. Corruption. If there's a God, why doesn't he just step in and sort it out? Think with me now. It's one of the biggest questions in the realm of faith. Or theism, and it is the number one objection to people who say, I, the number one reason why people say, I can't believe in a God. I can't look at human suffering and believe that a God exists. Certainly not the God you've described. Someone that loves us, and yet someone who is all-powerful. Someone who has the ability to do anything that he wants to do. How does he sit back and allow humanity to drive off the cliff edge into the abyss of pain, agony, uncertainty, and all of these things. So just let me know that I'm not here by myself today. Uh, that this is not a dream, that I'm not in a dream right now. Let me know uh, if any of you have ever heard objections like that, or if you've ever had objections like that, or if that sort of questioning or reasoning has ever gone through your mind, or if you found it difficult to explain to someone else how it is that a good, loving God can permit the perpetuation of evil in the world. Yes. 
Am I making some sense? Right? Okay, cool. So, if we were to answer the question comprehensively today, would that be a useful tool in your hand when you are conversing with people who are talking about the state of the world and wondering where God is? Well, I pray that such a tool finds you today. We, we're gonna, we will answer the question today. Can I hear an amen? amen. We're going to answer the question today. And this is why I need your, your spiritual attention. Because it's also going to answer the question as to why God can love you and watch you going through stuff that he promised to deliver you from. It's going to answer a lot of questions about your own life and your own experience where God has been confusing to you. And it will make the difference between those who get bitter in a trial and those who get better from the trial. Those who come out of it cursing God and those who come out of it praising God. Mm, is there anyone that wants to come out of it praising God? Can I hear you? Amen. Yeah, I want to come out of everything praising God. And in order to do that, I have to reconcile His ability to save me. And yet, I'm still sinking. Ooh, I need to reconcile this somehow. And so... I'm going to take us into a place today and hopefully come back to Mary. So I want you to notice that divine intervention, divine intervention requires an instrument of intervention. Think about it now. It requires an instrument of intervention. I want you to think of it as a door as a door. So if I am outside, you are inside, and I need to come in in order to save you, then the door must open. And there's only two ways the door is going to open. It's either you're going to open it for me, or I have to kick it down. Is that making sense? So there has to be a doorway for divinity to intercept in the affairs of humanity because these are two separate realms. Can I hear an amen? amen? These are two separate realms. These are, there is a spiritual realm, there is a physical realm. We live in the physical realm and in order for the physical and the spiritual to meet, there has to be a meeting place, a meeting point, a door or an instrument that allows divinity to interrupt Humanity. It has to, there has to be an instrument, which is why if God is going to be manifest in the flesh, he is looking for an instrument in the person of a woman. Okay? Because the only other way to do that is we all wake up one day and there's a baby. There's a, there's a, there's a baby lying in the manger. Okay? So in order to do this, I need a woman. Okay, I need a woman who is going to become the instrument of the intervention or the doorway through which divinity is going to enter humanity. Is that making sense? Okay, so, so what we see here is that Mary has agreed to be the instrument. 
She has agreed to be the door through which divinity enters humanity. She has surrendered herself uh, as, the, as the instrument for a divine intervention. And technically, it is simply not possible for Jesus to qualify as a human being unless he comes through the portal of a woman. All right? So if he just appeared in the manger, we couldn't really call him a human being. And if he's not really a human being, then the cross was a mockery because it was actually an act. You know? Ah! Ah! <laughs> he didn't really feel any pain at all. He's not even human, right? So he had to be real, okay? And in order to be really human, he, he had to come through the portal of a woman. He had to... He had to uh, grow in her womb for nine months and be born in the natural way um, and, and grow as a real man and grow in understanding, in his intellect, in his uh, social skill, in his, uh, in his wisdom. He has to grow. He has to go through the process, otherwise he's not really a man. And if he's not really a man, he cannot be our redeemer because the idea of redemption requires a kinsman or, or a relative, okay? So, uh, in reality, God wants to come in and save us, but he needs a door. Yes? He wants to come in and save us, but he needs an instrument. Is that making sense? And Mary says, okay, I will be the instrument through which you can come in and save us. Thank you, Mom. And let me just say to all, all the ladies in the house that actually you, you, you are a door. You are a doorway through which divinity enters humanity. You are the doorway through which divine purposes materialize themselves in the form of a human being. And that human being goes on to become a deliverer, a savior, uh, uh, you know, an, an anointed vessel. But it all comes through the doorway, which is, which is a woman. So, the question, in its deepest expression, goes like this. Is the will of God always done on earth like it is in heaven? Is the will of God always done on earth like it is in heaven? And the answer is no. No, the will of God is not always done on earth like it is in heaven. Why is it important for you to know that? It's important for you to know that because you might be tempted to sit back and say, look, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. And there are way too many Christians sitting back with their arms folded saying, if it is God's will, it's going to happen. Okay? I'm believing for something, and if it's God's will, it's going to happen. In fact, the if it's God's will is probably the biggest enemy of our strategic faith and our strategic implementation of faith. Because if it's God's will is not a statement of faith by itself, it's an expression of doubt. And so many people close off their prayers with an expression of doubt. Father, I pray for the blessing, I pray for the move of God, I pray for the healing, if it be thy will in Jesus' name. You're closing off the prayer with an expression of doubt. If it be thy will can only be an expression of doubt. 
And so, even if the statement is correct, it is still an error. In the sense that, the assumption is that if it is God's will, it's going to happen. But the will of God is not always done on earth like it is in heaven. Otherwise, Jesus would not ask us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wouldn't ask us to pray for the will of God to be done on earth if it was going to be done anyway. Which means there are a lot of things happening on earth that are not the will of God. Please help me now. There are a lot of things happening in your life that are not the will of God. There are a lot of things happening in the nations of the world that are not the will of God. You must understand that, that, that hurricanes and tornadoes that take out lives, that famines and the, and the economic injustices that have birthed malnutrition uh, and extreme poverty in nations, that cannot be the will of God. The will of God is not being done in that country like it is in heaven. You don't need to be looking at it and saying, well, you know, if God's will. And these are these ideas, there's little ideas that are floating around. And particularly, I remember uh, I remember being in India many years ago. And when I was in India, I, some, some people would, would beg, you know, some people around, hung around the airport and they would ask for things. And it wasn't, wasn't much at all. When you translated the amount in, from rupees to pounds, it was... It was so little that they were asking for. And of course, we, the tourists, were like, well, of course, of course, yeah. You just want to help everyone, right? You wanted to help everyone. But then I noticed that many of our, our brothers who were there, did, they weren't helping. They weren't helping. And I remember asking directly, what is your attitude towards the poor? What are you thinking about the poor? And then they said, well, you know, we inherited ideas about reincarnation and about uh, about the fact that people are getting what they deserve. That actually, they are actually paying in this life for their deeds in a former life. Now once you start believing that actually the state people are in is somehow their fate, where do you find the power to try to change it? Where do you find the will to get up and make a difference? If you actually think that this is just how it is meant to be and how it's going to be. Now in a Christian context, if you actually think that, that some of the things happening in the world are the judgments of God for the sins of the people. I've even heard Christians. I don't even want to call them Christians. Because if I call them Christians, then I'm looking for another name to call myself. I've heard Christians say that, that, uh, that Hurricane Katrina was the judgment of God for the sins of the people of New Orleans. And I'm like, well, if you're a Christian, I need to find another name for me because I'm not in your group. I don't believe that the will of God is being done on earth like it is in heaven. And that's why I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because it's not happening on earth like it is in heaven. It's happening in heaven, right? God's will is done in heaven, yes? You know why? Because heaven is God's domain. Everyone say that to, with me. Say heaven. heaven. 
is God's domain. This means that actually it is his kingdom where he is king. Uh, a, a kingdom is a king's domain. And where the word of the king is, there is power. So because God is the final say in heaven, then his perfect will is done in heaven. But it's not done on earth because the earth is not God's domain. Oh, help me now. The earth is man's domain. Everyone say it out loud with me. The earth is man's domain. One more time. The earth is man's domain. Say man has the final say. Now it's important to realize this and if you struggle with it, you go back to Genesis 1 and in Genesis 1 you'll find that God created man in his image, in his likeness and then gave him dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, everything that creeps on the earth, the earth becomes his domain. He's given him dominion, means that this is now yours. It's like this. Many years ago, I had a brand new car. I bought a brand new car, okay? It was a brand new car. I'll never forget the car because I'd never said the car was delivered to me on a truck, okay? So they had to roll it down off the back of the truck. So shiny, sparkling was the car. When you open the door, the smell of leather, just, just, just the aroma of the leather, the perfection of the vehicle. It was perfect. And it was now in my possession. And I'm here to tell you that six months later, it didn't look quite like it did when I got it. Because when I got it, it reflected the manufacturer. When, I, when it was in my possession, it became a reflection of its management. And in reality, I was not very good. If you search hard enough, you might even find the remains of KFC chicken somewhere under a chair, somewhere. I was living in the car. I was driving for hours from place to place. All kind of wrappers, all kind of... The, you know, used cans, everything in the car. And it was now reflecting me. It did not, it was no longer a reflection of the person who made it. It was a reflection of the person who's managing it. So when God made the world, he made a very perfect world, very perfect, very beautiful world. And then he gave dominion over the earth to man. And from that day forward, it is a reflection of human management, no longer a reflection of divine creativity. God gave man dominion. The earth is man's domain. Now God gave man dominion whilst retaining the freehold on planet earth. Let's all say the freehold. Okay. So God has retained the freehold on planet earth, which is why the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Okay. Everything, the worlds and they that dwell therein. Because he founded it on the seas and established it on the floods. It simply means that God retains the freehold of planet earth. And therefore by giving man dominion he gave us an earth lease. A leasehold on planet earth. We human beings are leaseholders on planet earth. We're not freeholders. We don't own the planet. But we are in charge of it. We are leaseholders. We get to use it as we want to. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Now, when it comes to any leaseholding, there are terms and conditions. There are rights and there are responsibilities. When it comes to man's earth lease, there is a time on man's earth lease. Can I hear an amen, somebody? There is a time. It's not forever. What we call the end times in the Bible is the end of man's earth lease. When we reach the end of the earth lease, then the freeholder has a right without permission to repossess the property. Hello now. And Jesus coming into the world 2,000 years ago was an indication that the earth lease was expiring. And this is why since that time the devil has been uh, smashing up the property. Come on, some of you landlords, you know what I'm talking about. Tenant knows they got two, two months left. Tenant decides that sink has got to go. That toilet bowl has got to break. These taps have got to go. They'll make life awkward for you. And so the devil is busy smashing up the planet. Knowing that he has but a short time. Because there is a time on the earth lease, and when God repossesses the planet, uh, then he can restore it to its original purpose and state. Is that making sense? So, the terms of the lease, now listen very carefully. So, there is a term on man's leaseholding of planet earth, but under the terms and conditions of any sensible lease, listen very carefully. The freeholder cannot enter the property without the invitation, instigation, or permission of the leaseholder. You need to hear this very carefully. The freeholder cannot, you cannot go home and find the freeholder sitting in your chair drinking coffee. That's an arrestable offense. Are you hearing me today? Because you have a right to peace of mind in your property. And typically in the terms of a lease, the leaseholder must give you an invitation, must give you uh, permission, or must instigate your intervention. Otherwise, we have now a situation where the freeholder is acting unjustly. So when God gave man the earth lease and said, you now have dominion over this planet, he retains his freehold, you have the leasehold, simply means I will not come in and I cannot come in without the invitation, the instigation, and the permission of a human being. If a human being does not invite me, I have to stay out. Which is why you'll find that God never kicks down the door. Instead, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's got power to kick it down. But he's made an agreement with mankind that this is your domain. In my domain, everything's working well. In your domain, it is messed up. But I, even if I want to help you, I will not kick down the door. I will stand at the door and I will knock. And if any man opens the door, 
I will come in. Is this making sense? I need a man to open the door. Then I will come in. When God looked at the condition of Israel, the state of Israel, the decline of Israel, he said through the prophet, I sought for a man. Because if I don't have a man, I don't have a right. Not going to creep through the window. Come on now. I'm not going to climb up some other way. A man must invite me to come in. A man must permit me to come in. Then I will come in with my power, with my authority, and I'll fix what's wrong. And then I will leave again because this is your domain. Which is why every heavenly intervention is initiated by a human being. Y'all not going to help him. Every heavenly intervention is always initiated by a human being. Without the instigation of a human being, there is no heavenly divine intervention. Are you ready for this now? Uh, Jacob had a dream at Bethel. And in his dream, he saw a ladder. Come on now, a ladder, Jacob's ladder. He saw a ladder that was set up on the earth and its top reached the heaven. Think about the setup. The setup doesn't start in the heaven. The setup starts in the earth. Come on, man. One say the setup starts in the earth. Then he saw the angels of God. Watch this now. What were the angels doing? Ascending and descending on the ladder. <laughs> this is good. He didn't say, I saw the angels descending and then ascending. He said they were going up before they came down. In other words, it all started in the earth. In the earth, someone sends an angel up before an angel comes back down. I wish I had some help, somebody. In the earth, someone sends an angel up before the angel comes back down. Some of us are praying for the latter rain to fall on us. Ever done that? Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. And we think that rain comes from heaven. It does not. Rain comes from the earth. Hello? The water that's falling upon you started its journey in the earth. And through the process of evaporation, it ascended into heaven, congregated as clouds, and then came back down on us as rain. But it started in the earth. Every divine intervention in your life is going to start with an invitation that you make or an, an inst something that you instigate, which is then going to cause a reaction that gives God permission, legitimacy, and license to step into your human affairs. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because heaven is God's domain, earth is man's domain, the will of God is not always done in the earth, because without a person to invite God, to permit God, God cannot step in, even if his heart is quote unquote bleeding for you, even if he is weeping over you, there is an arrangement, it's a legal arrangement, it's binding in the supreme court of heaven, he is not not going to violate his own eternal principle. He is going to wait until you are ready to initiate a divine intervention and he's going to need an instrument. Yes. 
going to need a person. Someone said, what does divine intervention look like? Are you ready for this now? Look at your neighbor. That's what it looks like. Yes, sir. What does divine intervention look like? It, all, it looks like a person. And it doesn't look like anything other than a person. Mm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Divine intervention. When you're praying, God save us. What he's going to do is raise up a person. Come on now. When you say, God, I give you permission to step in. He's going to raise up a person. Oh, help me now. Where do I even start? Abraham is a divine intervention in the course of human history. It is through Abraham that God intervened in the course of human history. Isaac was a divine intervention. Jacob was a divine intervention. Joseph was a divine intervention. Moses was a divine intervention. In response to an invitation, God's intervention will always involve the, always involve the preparation of a person and the using of a person. God step in. What do we actually even mean by that? Do we mean that his foot will cave in the ceiling and he will step in? This is not what God stepping in looks like. God stepping in is sending someone with an answer for you. God stepping in is sending someone with resources for you. God stepping in is sending someone to help you. God stepping in is somebody supporting you, catching you when you're falling. That's divine intervention. And so if we don't like people, we don't like God because God is only operating in this world through the agency of people. And sometimes we reject people, we're actually rejecting the intervention of God. Sometimes we don't like people, and they are the intervention of God. Going somewhere here today. How many of you still have a physical Bible in your house somewhere? Besides your telephone and your, your, your tablet. Well, in your physical Bible, you'll notice there's a blank page between Malachi chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 1. It's a blank page. Because it's that page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. Malachi 4 is the end of the Old Testament. Matthew 1 is the beginning of the New Testament. And in between that, there's a blank page. That blank page is loaded. You need special glasses to see what's on it. Lo and behold, I have special glasses. I can see exactly what's on the blank page. You see, that blank page represents 400 years of history. 400 years of history between Malachi and John the Baptist, who was the first prophet of the New Testament. Yeah. And between Malachi and John the Baptist, there were 400 years of silence, no prophets. Which means that a generation was born that had never met a real prophet. And then they gave birth to another generation who had never met a real prophet. And 400 years of people, prophets were now mythological characters from the past. If you could try to imagine 400 years back from where you are, 
almost any story is mythological. <laughs> Isn't that right? There were no prophets. But let me tell you what there was. There was cruelty and barbarism unlike anything in Israel's history. Because this was the period of their exile. Uh, they were exiled from the land, scattered in many respects. They were under the oppression of a ruling class for successive generations. The Babylonians ruled them. The Medo-Persians ruled them. The Greeks, Alexander the Great, Antiochus, Epiphanes. Yes, I'm going to use these words, just act like you know. Ruled them. Slaughtered them. Antiochus Epiphanes was Epiphanes, however people pronounce it. It's Epiphanes. I'm telling you that. Uh, he was the governor. He was the he was the Greek governor that actually governed the Judea region, and he decided to so put the Jewish people in their place that he would take a pig, bring it into the holy of holies and slaughter it in the Holy of Holies and splash the blood all over the Holy of Holies as his way of saying, if you have a God, let him strike me. Humiliation, oppression. Jesus was not the first or the only person to be crucified. Thousands were crucified for hundreds of years to make an example of them. It was barbaric. And in the midst of the barbarism and the hostility of 400 years, what do you think they were praying? What were they praying? Are you ready for this? They had one hope. There was only one hope. The Messiah. So what are they praying every morning? Oh God, send the Messiah. What are they praying every afternoon? God, send us the Messiah. What are they praying every evening? Oh God, send us the Messiah. What are they praying every night? Oh God, send the Messiah. Send the Messiah. Send the Messiah. Messiah, come! And these were not, these were not said prayers. These were prayed prayers. This is hot, teary prayers. This is God, send us. Send help. Send us the Messiah. This was their prayers. We get to the New Testament, you got 400 years of people praying for the Messiah to come. And the Bible says, he was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. Isn't that tragic? That you don't recognize the answer to your own prayer. Because it's in a person that you don't like. It gets worse. It gets worse. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Hold on a second. The world didn't know him. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came to his own. And his own received him not. Doesn't say his own didn't know him. 
In fact, his own knew him. Because Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin Council, one of 70 elders that presided over the religious and civil affairs of the country, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Yes. Why at night? Because he don't want to be seen. Came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who came from God. We know you came from God. Who's we? Who's he speaking on behalf of? The Sanhedrin Council. We know that you came from God. He came to his own, but his own would not receive him. Not they didn't know him, they wouldn't receive him. Because, because he didn't fit their idea of what salvation should look like. He didn't come through the people or the avenues that they thought he should come through. He didn't pay homage to the powers that be. He didn't prop up the status quo. He was a threat to the religious order. And, and this is not how we expected the Messiah to be. I mean, all of this Bethlehem stuff, this stable stuff, and this Mary story. Plus, you're a little aggressive about our traditions. And you were seen at a party. And there was wine there. And who are these... Tax collectors. And that fisherman you're always hanging around with. He's got a very foul mouth, that guy. And we're not even going to talk about the girl from Magdala. You don't fit. You don't look the way we, we thought you would. You're not saying the things we need you to say. You're not aligning yourself with the people that I need you to be, that we need you to be aligned with. So though we know who you are, we are rejecting you. Rejecting a divine intervention, God himself incarnate in the world. You're rejecting God in order to prop up your status quo. 400 years of praying for something that you don't like when it comes. What does divine intervention look like? It looks like a person. It looks like people. So I'm going to teach you some Hebrew as I close. And some of you, when I teach you this Hebrew, you're going to say, no, 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 Bishop. I know you're a Pentecostal. You're just speaking in tongues. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm speaking in Hebrew. Because here's what Jesus said to them. He said, you know what? You will not see my face again until you shall say, Baruch, Hababa Shem Adonai. Baruch Hababa Shem Adonai. In case you want to know what that means, right? That's close. Said, <laughs> 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 so You are not going to see my face again until you shall say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until you bless what God is sending you, you will not see it again. When God sends you help, bless it. Because if you bless it, more help will be on the way. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. 
We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.